From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Coming up, commuting habits are hard to break, even at a time of safe track. Plus, why are metro train speakers so hard to understand? But first, how would you make metro greater? Ideas welcome. Greater Greater Washington's David Alpert joins us as we go full throttle on Episode 7 of Metropocalypse. The D.C. Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. Customers should expect extended delays and crowded conditions on trains and platforms. If people don't ride transit and they all switch to driving, more people are going to get killed because driving is actually pretty unsafe too. So over the past several episodes, we've been talking about the big issues of Metro's past and present, from how it was built to the funding scheme, all big picture stuff. So today, how about we narrow our focus? Let's be brilliant at the basics. How would you make Metro greater? It's not a rhetorical question. It's an actual contest put together by the pro-transit website Greater Greater Washington, whose founder, David Alpert, is with us today. David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, let's let's talk about Metro Greater. But first, I have a question I've been wanting to ask you for quite a while. Okay. How did you become such a huge nerd? <laughs> well, I think it's just always been uh, – it, it's something – I guess being a nerd is something that would be more – As a compliment. Something you know? that comes to you naturally. But I've I just always really been interested in what makes things, systems work, cities – transportation systems. And I say nerd with love, of course. And you've turned yourself into a formidable commentator on uh, what's going on in the greater Washington area when it comes to transit, development, education, etc. So tell us, where'd you get this idea from? Metro greater. Let's make Metro better, but keep the ideas under $100,000. Exactly. The idea behind Metro greater is that Metro would like to find small things that it can do to improve the rider experience while at the same time it is working on the big job of fixing things with SafeTrack. When Paul Wiedefeld, the head of Metro, came to us early on in in his tenure at Metro, he met with a lot of people. He met with you. He met with a lot of people in the press, Congress, others, and he said, I want to find things to do to make things better. Quick wins. Exactly. And so there are some things that Metro did on on its own. Uh, You know, they put stickers on the platforms there, when the train pulls all the way to the far end of the platform, there's a sticker. Let you know where it's a six-car train versus an eight-car train. And you got Metro to go along with this idea for Metro Greater. They're going to implement the idea that you choose, right? That's right. They, Paul asked, asked us, he asked me, what, what can, how can Metro find more of these quick wins? Some of us at Greater Greater Washington thought about it, and we said, why don't we throw it out to everyone out there? There are going to be a lot of people with brilliant ideas. All right, so what kind of ideas are you getting from your readers and metro rail riders, etc.? There have been over 1,100 ideas submitted so far, Whoa. and they really run the gamut. I mean, some of them— well, Whose they, job is it to go through all of those and pick out the best <laughs> yeah, one? Yeah, we're going to have a, a number of us have our work cut out for us, and we have to do that a little bit with some folks at Metro. Also, part of the process is to sit down with them and vet them. So people have, have submitted a, a wide range of things. But a lot of them involve things like wayfinding. People uh, have suggested ways to improve signs, places to put signs. Someone early on, one of the earliest ideas that I liked was to paint a compass rose or, or stick a compass rose down on the uh, ground right at the top of the escalator. So when you come up the escalator, 
you know which way is east or west, or maybe put the names of the streets, that sort of thing. Let's talk, why has Metro, in your opinion, been so bad at some of these small things that, that make a big difference, at least in the minds of commuters, like uh, clear signage, lighting, better customer service, seemingly no-brainers that would make customers happy, even if they don't make a big dent in those big issues Metro's dealing with now? I think there's maybe a couple of reasons, and and we're all a little bit speculating that that don't work inside Metro. But from what I've learned from people I've talked to, I think that there are a few factors. One is that uh, when organizations get big, and Metro's pretty big, and sometimes they can get very bureaucratic, and certainly Metro is much more bureaucratic than it needs to be, doing anything requires so many sign-offs and a lot of steps and things like that that it can be difficult. And so it's, as an organization, needs to be more nimble, and that's something you can really improve on. The other thing, uh, you know, I think when Metro has had so many big problems, people will get uh, somewhat rightly and somewhat wrongly focused on, well, we should spend all of our time on those big problems. When Paul Wiedefeld came in, I think one of the things he recognized was, you know, small wins can make people happier and, and help turn around that negative perception of Metro to give them space to actually fix the big problems. Of course, they have to actually fix those problems. And sometimes I've seen this, the, the far, final reason, when we talk about certain things on the blog, once in a while we'll say, oh, look, Metro's improved the sign. And there's always one commenter that says, why should they, why are they spending any time and energy yes. on that sign? Shouldn't their focus be on the rail cars breaking down? Yeah, they need signs too. Exactly. So, you know, the organization should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. I think with this, they are being able to, but maybe there's also a fear. Metro's gotten too afraid of the negative reaction that might come with anything that they do, and sometimes that's made them kind of go into a little bit of a shell. And I think Paul Weedafall has been helping them get out of that a little bit, and hopefully that will continue. Well, he ran an airport at one point, and airports and airlines are very much into the customer service uh, culture. Exactly. So when will we have a winner? We'll have a winner. It will be announced on August 24th. All right. We'll look forward to it. Let's transition to some other issues. Safe track. what do you think so far? Maybe I shouldn't ask you that. You've been out of the country. I, I was concerned that there would be even more traffic Armageddon than there has been. So clearly people have been shifting a lot of their travel patterns. And, and it shows, as with some of these other things, that you know, on our roadways in particular, you know, we could have some slack capacity if people telecommute, if people shift their hours. There's some availability to do that. But there have been a lot of people for whom... It has been a real burden, people waiting long long amounts of time for the shuttle buses. Not everyone's been able to shift their patterns. And like a lot of these transportation changes, it can often hit the people the hardest who have the least flexibility, the people who don't have the professional jobs that can just do it from home or they can just shift their hours. The way I've been describing it is disruptive, uncomfortable, but not chaotic. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I believe... I, as a reporter, and others have to do is make clear to people what Safe Track is all about. It doesn't cover everything. We're talking about you know the fundamental reconstruction of original sections of railroad. Uh, that's a reliability issue when it comes to rail, uh, electrical power cables. It does overlap with safety, though. You've been critical of Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox for focusing so intensely on safety in recent months. Why? Metro absolutely has to be safe. But it also has to work well. And just like Metro has so many different things it needs to fix, Metro can't let its service degrade horribly in the interest of only focusing on one element of safety. If people don't ride transit and they all switch to driving, then more people are going to get killed because driving is actually pretty unsafe too. We need to be safer. Absolutely, it has to be safer. 
there are a lot of these safety problems that must, must, must get fixed. But the question is, is there going to be a point where there's a trade-off where in the interest of making it an infinitesimal amount safer that's not really meaningful, it does something that seriously degrades service? I don't think anyone at Metro would say out loud, listen, we've only had one fatality since January of 2015 while dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people have died on the region's roads. They would never say something like that. What they say is, we have a safe system. Right. We move a million people a day, and we have other problems that overlap with safety, but are just as pressing, especially when it comes to the day-to-day focus of commuters. I don't get the sense from riders that they feel they're in danger when they step on a metro rail car. That's right. People, they want to make sure that the real problems are getting fixed and they need to be getting fixed. But the reasons that people have been abandoning Metro haven't been primarily about safety issues other than the couple of high-profile ones. It's been that the rail cars aren't working and they don't show up on time. Sometimes it's been really crowded platforms and uncomfortable rides because there aren't enough trains also, let's face it, if the trains are if there aren't enough trains going down the tracks and people are still trying to ride the system and those platforms get really crowded, then that becomes unsafe too. So you can actually create an unsafe situation in the pursuit of a different safe situation. All right, David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington talking about his Metro Greater contest and all things Wamada. Why don't you stick around for the rest of the podcast? Sure thing. Thanks, Martin. As Metropocalypse continues, we answer your questions. Why are the rail car speakers indecipherable? What's up with the air conditioning on the new trains? That's next. This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black change makers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Hear the stories of these incredible scientists, activists, artists, and more throughout February on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at WAMU.org. We're back on the Metropocalypse. Martin DeCaro here with Greater Greater Washington's David Alpert. And we continue with your questions. Two questions this week from our Metropocalypse Facebook group. First, why are the overhead speakers so difficult to understand when you're riding the train? I think we've all wondered that. Sometimes they're clear, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're so loud they'll melt your earwax. I mean, I'm sure you've been on a train you can't understand them. That's right, Martin. Absolutely, I have. (laughs) That's right. I think you just said we're going to Metro Center. So we asked Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld, what's up? What we have is a number of series of rail cars we bought over time, over decades. And some of our oldest are the 1000 series. And right now, we basically, we package those in the middle of the uh, consist. And that's by design. Uh, It was one of the recommendations from NTSSB. And so because of that, you have older technology for communication that can break down when it hits that. So if you look, if you've driven, if you've been on one of our uh, 7000 series, that's a non-issue because it's all the same technology, all the same era, and just flows through the whole train. Um, and unfortunately, that's what happens until we weed out in the 1000 series and then your favorite, the 4000 series, um, that all starts to improve. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're now taking 1000 series off the property, as you know. 
um, as we're bringing more and more 7,000s in. So that's Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld. He was kidding around with me about the 4,000 series rail cars being my favorite. They're just the worst in the entire fleet. So let's just clarify some of the, the transit speak there. Metro has seven series of rail cars. The 1,000 series all the way up to the new trains, which are the 7,000 series. You can tell which series is which by looking at the numbers on the outside and the inside of the trains. They don't speak to each other. The technology doesn't speak to each other through the, the speaker systems as you, you know, look at an eight-car train. You know, the, the first car all the way to the eighth car, if the announcements might sound fine in some cars and not so fine in the others. That's right. And, and some of the cars, the, some of the later series... Before the seven thousands are the ones that they just got with all the fancy newer uh, LED dis- LCD displays with the screens. The ones just before that are the ones that have the the little LED like the red um, displays that right now they'll just hit something like green on it and it just says that. And people before the crash, before they did what what Paul was talking about with sw- uh, making these trains with multiple cars, different kinds of cars, those would actually sh- tell you what the next station was. So Metro had some that had that, the newer ones the somewhat newer ones, and then the older ones that didn't have that. And Metro's phasing out its oldest rail cars over the next five years and beyond as it brings on 728 of the 7,000 series rail cars. All right, question number two. What's up with the air conditioning on the new trains? Well, it's not just the AC. Metro is ironing out an array of technical and mechanical issues that are not unusual for a new rail car series. So, David, have you been on a hot car, a new train that didn't have functioning AC? I have I have not yet been on a new train hot car. I'm sure you've been on an old one. But absolutely plenty of old ones. Those are very common, unfortunately. I've gotten quite good at stepping onto a rail car, feeling the heat, and running down the platform, which you're not supposed to do, to uh, the next rail car over and checking it as air conditioning. And sometimes I'll, I'll, if I see a train coming and for some reason one car seems to be suspiciously less crowded than the other, I'll think, wait, why is that? Maybe they all are left it for that reason. All right. So what's the deal with the 7000 series rail cars and the air conditioning? Well, there were a lot of problems with the 7000 series when they arrived last summer. And it's not unusual when you have a new product, uh, newly manufactured rail car series. There were problems with the brakes, with the doors, with the propulsion. But uh, over the last several months, Metro has done a lot to minimize those problems. And actually, the 7,000 series rail cars are the most reliable in the entire fleet. But there are still some issues with the air conditioning that are being worked out. And uh, this is not a scientific measurement or a scientific count. But folks on Twitter are tweeting for any hot car, regardless of rail car series, with the hashtags WAMADA, and hot car. 407 hot cars have been tweeted so far this year. 33 of them were 7,000 series rail cars. When the podcast continues, old habits are hard to break, but will Safe Track make you quit Metro Rail forever? WAMU reporter Jacob Benston joins us with some answers next. We continue on Metropocalypse. Martin DeCaro here with Greater Greater Washington's David Alpert, who's been kind enough to stick around for the entire podcast. He is the founder and president of that website. And WAMU's Jacob Fenston is here now to talk to us about the psychology of commuting. So safe track is disruptive, but the segment shutdowns and single tracking maintenance surges are localized. They're not region-wide all at once. And they're temporary, two to three weeks at a time. 
think one single tracking will go 44 days at the most. You know, Jacob, is that enough to make someone quit Metro Rail for good, if they haven't already, of course? Yeah, well, so that was sort of my my original question was to was that people have have habits that they get into every day. And I mean, I talked to a woman who had been doing Metro for 30 years. You know, that's like that's a serious habit when you've been doing the same commute for years and years and decades. So I talked to a psychologist about this. Her name is Wendy Wood. She works at the University of Southern California out in Los Angeles. And she said something like safe track could actually be enough to change people's commuting habits. When you change the environment like this and disrupt a habit, you sort of give people a window of opportunity to be making new decisions about how they get to work. Right. So she's saying basically that, you know, habits rely on a a stable environment to work because it's all about the, you know, the same action getting the same reward. So if you, you know, get on Metro, you get home in in an efficient way, right? That's the reward. Um, but if you destabilize that environment, then it messes up the whole habit and, and you know, you're you're in chaos and you have to find a new way to get home. But the but of all of this is that a lot of people have chosen Metro because it actually is the best option for them to get to work. I talked to a transit engineer at uh, Virginia Tech, and she talked about how uh, there's something called travel inertia, which is basically a, the idea that people... Um, are very reluctant to change how they travel, especially mode. So people are really, it's really hard to get people to change between trains and driving or driving and trains or uh, that sort of thing. And if you just bought a car, for instance, you have all those sunk costs and that's a, an incentive, I guess, to stick with the automobile and not switch to something else, just to offer another example. Right. Or you bought a condo that was on top of Metro. So a lot of the, those sort of travel decisions are baked into other decisions that you've already made. And you talked to riders in our Metropocalypse Facebook group about this issue. What did they tell you? I did. Yeah, it was really interesting. I posted the question on the Facebook group um, looking for people who have found new ways to get around that they think they're going to stick with after SafeTrack. So I asked people about that on the Facebook group, and I found people, a a number of people who said they found a bus they didn't know about that actually was better for them. Um, I talked to a woman who is uh, tried VRE. She lives in Burke, and she had been driving up to the Orange Line in Vienna and then taking that in. Now she's taking VRE. It's an additional 10 minutes, but it's um, it's calmer. It's it's a much different uh, kind of a more community feel where everybody kind of talks to everybody and everybody's very cordial and there's no mad rush to get a seat and um, it's just and it's above ground so you can see DC and you can see Alexandria and you can see all these sites on the way in which I love. I didn't. I was actually looking, not looking forward for say for the first surge to end because I thought I don't want to go back to Metro. Then I was thinking, well, why should I? <laughs> so. So you feel like it's sort of a new, you formed a new habit now. Uh. Absolutely. New habit caused by that. Um, and I'm sure others, I'm sure others have too. That was Robin Kotchen, who I connected with through the Metropocalypse Facebook group. And just from a point of view of thinking about it as a region-wide transportation planning, you know, if someone found a bus that is more direct, well, fantastic. VRE, VRE is a great uh, type of transportation, and Mark, and those other trains. So it's actually really nice for people to try them, and maybe some people will use them. Right, and a lot of people have also been riding bikes. There was a, um, Capital Bike Share set a record uh, for you know most riders ever during the first week of Safe Track. There's also like in Arlington along the Orange Line. I think it was ninety percent, um, you know, up to ninety percent increase in in biking compared to the previous year. And I also talked to a woman who's been run commuting. So there seems to be a real... Run commuting. 
Right. <laughs> I hope they have a shower at their office. I'm Beth Jarris. I work in DuPont Circle, and I live in Old Town. So if I do the whole thing, it's about nine miles. Um, so what I often do is take Metro part of the way and then run between three and five miles of the route. Working full-time and commuting long distances like here in the D.C. area, but trying to fit fitness in can be tough, so that was the other benefit of run commuting is that I get my workout in in about the same amount of time that I would have been sitting on Metro. So you're running with her while she's doing this and you're interviewing her? and Well, I kind of cheated. I rode a bike oh. to Memorial <laughs> Bridge where she was, and then I ran along with her for about uh, five minutes, or not less, probably less than five minutes. It was very hot, and I didn't. That's an impressive interview. She did pretty well there holding up, you know, because it's hard to talk and run at the same time. She did, and it was a very hot and steamy day. Extreme radio. Yeah, you, it, it's just one of the things that actually the Washington region does very well is to have a wide diversity of transportation options. People, we have the ability for people to walk or run to get most places. A lot of regions don't have that. We have buses in addition to trains. We have the commuter rails. We have, we don't have bike lanes as good as the ones in Europe, but we have ones that are much better than most American cities. We have bike share, so even people without their own bikes. We have, you know, Uber, Lyft, we have car to go, et cetera, et cetera. And so it, it makes the region more resilient when things like this happen. You know, we need metro, but we have some ability for flexibility that many cities don't, uh, don't have. And that's a really good thing for our region. Yeah, modes should not compete. They should be integrated together. And we're finding out through SafeTrack that our transportation network, such as it is, is more resilient than some had given credit for. And commuters are more resilient than some have given credit for. And I think in a lot of ways, there's a mindset like it's it's metro or you're driving and stuck on the beltway. And maybe that was the case 40 years ago in 1976. But a lot of these options you just talked about are, are things that are new or that people are, are sort of newly thinking about, like running to work. People probably weren't doing that a lot in the 70s. That's, that's probably right. Jacob Fenston of WAMU. He's been producing our podcast. He's also a great reporter on our radio station and uh, produced this story about the psychology of commuting. David Alpert of Greater Greater Washington, thanks for being here this week. All right, that's it for this episode. Next week, we'll ride the rails with Virginia Congressman Don Beyer. He's in the middle of his first term. He was sworn in right about the same time as the LaFont Plaza smoke fiasco in January 2015. We'll talk to him about Metro safety and whether the Transit Authority is making enough progress in his home state of Virginia. And if you're listening to this on Monday, July 11th, there's still time. Join us tonight for Metropocalypse Live. It's at 6.30 at Kramer Books in DuPont Circle. It's free, and you can find out more at our Metropocalypse Facebook group. And please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It'll help other Metro riders find us. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, John Ogolnik, Jacob Fenston, Joe Warminski, and Chris Chester. Our engineer has been Alex Drewenskis. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's Director of Content. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. All the other music from today's episode came from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. You heard tracks by Whitehold, The Rail Runners, Kokai, Kaz and the Day Laborers, and Damu the Funchmunk. Until next time, for Jacob Fenston and David Alpert, I'm Martin DeCaro. Thanks for listening. And I had one last question for you, Martin, oh, before we wrap up, which is, uh, how did you become such a nerd? How did I? I don't think I am a nerd. 
First of all, you'll have to define how I'm a nerd. Well, Jacob's here, won't you? Do you think I'm a nerd? No, you don't. What, what's, your, what's the last book you read? Well, I'm reading a book now about the rise of anti-slavery politics uh, in the United States prior to the Civil War. It's uh, about six, seven hundred pages. It's really excellent. All right. I think I think this podcast and uh, your your reading habits would prove that you are a nerd. All right. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm, now I'm a nerd. <laughs>